Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We started a series of lessons last week. This is the, the second of four lessons from that little Old Testament book of, of Haggai. And we are focusing for these weeks on, on restoration. How do we motivate people to action? Specifically, how do we motivate people to action in the service of God? And that little book of Haggai, as I mentioned last week, contains several speeches. And it would be interesting for us to think for a moment about the simple fact that Haggai gave that first speech, the one that we studied last week, and it was a fascinating speech. I mean, he absolutely set the situation perfectly. We talked about last week how he, he gave that assessment, that straightforward assessment. And he, he called the people to action. He, he made sure the people knew what they hadn't been doing, what they needed to be doing. And we could look at that and think, well, his job's done. Because he has given a grand, it wasn't a long speech, but a grand speech and one that did exactly what needed to be done. But if you're a leader of any kind, a parent, elders, teachers, someone who runs a business or is over people at a business, a leader of any kind, you know that you can give an absolutely fantastic speech and your job is nowhere near done. We have to keep reminding people. We have to keep casting visions sometimes, it says. Sometimes we have to keep encouraging the, the people in the Scripture. And we read a few moments ago that Tanner read for us. You notice the people obeyed. They listened. But Haggai's job still wasn't done. There's encouragement that still needs to be given. Sometimes there's warning that still needs to be given. Hey, if we, if we get off track here, here's what's going to happen. So, so Haggai, this book is not just one amazing speech and then the book ends by saying, oh, and everybody listened to him and everything was fantastic. No, he keeps having to come back and give simple speeches or words to continue the motivation so that no matter what was going on around the people, among the people, they would stay motivated. The second speech he gives is easily the shortest. In fact, it doesn't even fill a verse. And you may think, how in the world is Adam going to stretch a speech that's only a handful of words long into a 25 or 30 minute sermon? To which I respond, have you ever met me? That's what preachers do. The whole speech It's found at the end of verse 13 of chapter 1, where Haggai says, I am with you, declares the Lord. The whole point of speech number 2 is simply a reminder of God's presence. Now put yourselves for a moment in the shoes of those back in Haggai's day. Wouldn't that speech, as short as it is, just a couple of lines, or really just one line, 
I'm with you. But then he reminds them, it's the Lord who's with you. I'm with you, declares the Lord. Wouldn't that have been encouraging to you? But oh, how we need that same motivation as well. We want to notice something this morning about the presence of God and how God's presence can motivate us to action, specifically action in our faith, action in our religious life, if you will, which should be our whole life. But how do we stay focused on doing what God would have us to do, no matter what's going on in the world around us, no matter what might be happening in our own lives? And I want you to think about how just knowing that God is present can motivate us in three ways. First of all, we won't spend a lot of time on this point, but I want you to consider the fact that God's presence can motivate us in a negative sense. Now, I don't mean that to say it's a bad thing to know God's presence. What I mean by calling it a negative sense is sometimes when we think of the fact that God is present, it can cause us to be fearful. Should we not be doing what God would have us to do? You might think of some passages in Scripture that remind us that God is love, God is light, God's grace, God's mercy. But that's not all the attributes of God, is it? Romans 11 and verse 22 comes to mind where it gives us that balance. Behold, The old King James says, behold the goodness and the severity of God. The English Standard Version has the kindness and the severity of God. Well, which one is true? And the answer is both of them are. God is good, God is kind, but there is also a a severity to God. If we only present God or only think of God in all, if you will, the positive qualities and never consider, and this is not perfect terminology, but never consider, if you will, the negative terminology, negative characteristics. They're not negative, but just the opposite of how we think of them. You know, things like his wrath and his justice. If we never think of those things, we are not thinking of the God of the Bible. God is love and mercy and grace and kindness and goodness and covenant keeping and all those things. But God is also a God of wrath and a God of uh, justice and judgment. All of those things are true and fulfill and fill up, I should say, the, the character of God. But for some people, when they think of the fact that God is present, verses like Hebrews 10 and verse 31 ring in their ear. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, is that a bad thing to remember? Of course not. Those of us who are parents, we've seen this live out in the lives of our children, probably. You have a child who may be supposed to clean their room. I don't know where I got this illustration from, but they're supposed to clean their room. And maybe they, they, they don't do that, and so there's some negative punishment. There's something negative that happens in their life because they didn't fulfill that, that job, that chore that they were supposed to do. And so you come back, you know, two or three days later and say, okay, it's time to clean your room. Now, they might go and actually do it. But the motivation might be the negative that will happen if they don't. Now, is that a bad thing? Well, not at a certain level, it's not. There needs to be an understanding that there is a negative consequence attached to not being obedient or to use a a biblical word, not being faithful. And is that not also true sometimes when we think about the presence of God? There needs to be a reminder that if we are not faithful, there is a negative consequence attached to that. And put yourself back in the shoes of those in Haggai's day. They had come back to Jerusalem. Now, it had been a while ago, 16 years or so, since they'd come back to Jerusalem. But why had they been away from Jerusalem? 
because of the sins of their own people. Some of them, their own sins when they were younger, but for sure the sins of their, their forefathers, their, their generations before them. They had fallen to sin and God sent them, let them go into captivity. And so when they were reminded of the presence of God, could there not have been some on that day who went, oh yeah, if we don't do what God says to do, we remember what happened a generation before, a couple of generations before. We, we've heard those stories and some of us were there. But we also all know that while this is true, and this is good for us to remember, that one sign of maturity and growth is that it doesn't stay there. It is good for us to remember at times that God's presence can motivate us in a negative way. If I don't do it, if I'm not faithful, here's what will happen. But as we grow, as we mature, we also are reminded that God's presence can motivate us in the second place in a positive way. And this is how we typically think of the presence of God. That encouraging presence. The fact just knowing that He's here, that He's with us. It is a beautiful thing to consider. It's a difficult thing to consider at times. We'll get back into that in just a moment. But it's a beautiful thing to know that God's presence motivates us simply because the all-powerful, the almighty, the all-loving is right there with us. Think of some Old Testament examples. In Exodus chapter 14, you have the children of Israel preparing to cross the Red Sea. And sometimes we're reminded of how they came out of Egypt. And then we kind of place them on the shores of the Red Sea. And in our minds, we have Moses, you know, stretch out his hand, stretch out the staff and hold out the staff. And, and the, the sea parts and they walk across. But there's more to that account than just that. They don't just show up at the sea and all of a sudden Moses holds his staff out. There's more to it than that, isn't there? If you look carefully at what happens in Exodus 14, you find some fascinating details. Beginning in verse 15 of that chapter, this is what you read. God speaking to Moses. Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And you know what happened? But I want you to see what happens in the next couple of verses. We're told that that pillar of cloud that had been leading them to this point had been before them was no longer before them, was it? God lifted that pillar of cloud and put it between the Israelites and the pursuing army of Egypt. Oh, but there's even more. Because we're also told in verse 19 that the angel of God... Who, who was going before the host or the people of Israel moved and went behind them. In other words, that angel of God got between the Israelites and that pursuing army. Why, why go back to that, that account? Why point out that little detail? What was God showing them? I am with you. Just like I've led you by this pillar of cloud out to this point, I'm going to protect you as As amazing as what you're getting ready to see and experience is, the whole point of the parting of the Red Sea is not just, wow, look at the water wall up. It's God was with His people. And He showed that with that pillar of cloud moving to behind them and that angel of God standing or coming between His people and that pursuing army. Many of us love the 23rd Psalm. And while you might have a favorite line of that poem that's maybe different from my favorite line or vice versa. 
I think most of us can agree that the line that sort of glues that whole poem together is, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Every line of that poem connects to that thought. The shepherd is with the sheep. And David understood that and said, I don't have to fear anything. Not not because of the still waters and not because of the green pastures. I don't fear anything because God is with me. The Lord, the shepherd, is with me. All the way back in Genesis chapter 39. That's the chapter that kind of tells us about the the highs and lows in the life of Joseph when he's there in in Egypt. And, And I know when I was growing up, Sometimes we, we would hear Bible classes or devotionals about Genesis 39 and we get to that part about, about Potiphar's wife and the whole application of Genesis 39 became, well, you run away from temptation just like Joseph run, ran away from temptation. Can I show you something from Genesis 39 that shows that's not the point of the chapter? Now it is an application from the chapter. But the point of Genesis 39 is that God was with Joseph. Do you want to know how I know that? Because that's what the text says over and over and over again. For example, Genesis 39 and verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. In Genesis 39 and verse 9, when Joseph is saying, I, I can't do this, this sin, why? It's because God was with him. And then in verse 21, after Joseph was falsely accused, thrown into prison, virtually forgotten, what does verse 21 say? But the Lord was with Joseph, the point of Genesis 39, the whole chapter is about whether Joseph was at a high in life or a low in life. His father, his God was with him. He was carried along by the presence of God through the ups and downs of life. And so are we if we are faithful. And somebody says, yeah, but the last time I checked, Exodus and Psalms and Genesis are all in the Old Testament. What about us? Do we not still have the same promises today? The New Testament promises us that God will be with us, that Christ will be with us. Should we be faithful to the Great Commission to go and teach, make disciples? Jesus ended that with a great promise in Matthew 28 and verse 20. I am with you always, even to the end of the world, or some translations have even to the end of the age. If we're faithful, Jesus says, I'm right there with you. What about Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20? A chapter that's talking, or a section of Scripture, I should say, that's talking about when we have those very difficult conversations because there's, there's a, a sin against a brother or sister in Christ and we're trying to, to reconcile that relationship and our stomach is just churning and we have trouble going there. What's the promise? Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm right there with them. What about Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5? Where the Hebrews writer talks about how we can... If we're not careful, we can begin to trust in in the stuff of this world, the money of this world. But then he contrasts it with what we should trust in. As he writes in Hebrews 13, 5, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he, God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And even the Apostle Paul, before he spoke to us, wrote to us about taking everything to God in prayer, wrote in Philippians 4 and verse 5, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is at hand. Now, somebody may say, but yeah, I know those verses. I love those verses. But John 4, 24 says God's a spirit. And when I think of someone being near, I think of a hand I can hold. I think of a shoulder I can lean on. Or maybe even sometimes in life, a shoulder I can cry on. 
I think of a, a physical presence. And we understand that God is not physically right there. We don't literally hold his hand or literally cry on his shoulder or any of those things. We, we understand that. But I want us all to remember that when we consider the fullness of God's character, God's attributes, that he is everywhere all the time. And that he really is one who cares for every part of his creation, including you individually and me individually. He is present. While I may not be able to literally hold his hand. In a figurative spiritual sense, I walk hand in hand with my Savior. Put yourself in the shoes of those back in Haggai's day. Don't you know? The knowledge of God's presence would have motivated them far more than than, than the negative sense. Knowing that he's there. Don't you know that's a lasting motivation? Because when they face difficulty as they would and did, knowing that God was with them, that's what would keep them going. And the same is true about us many times in life. Sometimes it's during the highs of life. Knowing that God is there and we have those victories. And we can, if you please, we can share those with him. But we all know more often than not it's in the valleys of life. While we may not have that physical hand of God to hold on to, He's the one who leads us through the valleys. And we know His presence when we're faithful. A poet named Findham wrote these words, Do you know God will not leave you to sail stormy seas alone? Do you know God's plans succeed wherever you may roam? Do you know He carries you, bears with, and delivers you? From womb to gray hairs, he is God. His word to you is true. But sometimes we need even more motivation than that. Sometimes we need the, the, the negative. I need to be reminded if I'm not faithful, here's what will happen. Very often we need the positive. That if I am faithful, God is with us. But there is a third way in which we understand God's presence. And it will motivate us for action. And that is that God's presence motivates us in eternal sense if we are faithful we get to go home with god and if that doesn't motivate us no matter what's going on in our life i'm not really sure what will the simple fact that we can sing words like face to face with christ my savior face to face what will it be when with rapture i behold him jesus christ who died for me and that those words can be true that motivates us each and every day there are so many reasons why i want to go to heaven that's a different sermon for a different time And I'm sure you have a list a mile long of reasons why you want to go to heaven. And if I preached a sermon on that, you might go, yeah, all those are true, but I've got other reasons. And that's great. But may I suggest to you that no matter how long your list is, no matter how many items are on your list, if you are a faithful Christian, the number one reason why we should want to go to heaven should always be we get to be in the presence of God forever. And in the fullness of his presence forever. And if that doesn't motivate us to be faithful, I don't know what will. The New Testament speaks of it so often. John 14, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. As Paul wrote about what will occur when Jesus returns in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And what's the next beautiful line? And so shall we ever be or always be with the Lord. Consider the words of Revelation 21 verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. If we are faithful, we can walk through this life knowing that we will be with God eternally. That should be enough to keep us motivated. This is a series of lessons about restoration. It's about staying focused on restoration. But we're living in times where we can grow fearful of what it means to remain faithful. What could happen to us if we remain faithful? We're always living in times where we can get discouraged. Soon because of what happens in life, what happens in society, what might happen in our families. And sometimes we, we can get tempted just to just sort of hole up and only think of ourselves. But God is with us. If there's any reason to rededicate ourselves, to, to remain focused on restoration, both individually as well as collectively, it is because we need to know the presence of God in our life. But somebody says, well, but, but people just don't want to hear anymore. God is with us. Some, somebody says, you know, but we're worried about our safety as Christians. Even inside the building, God is with us. Somebody says, well, the circumstances of my life, I'm too old now, or I've, I've, been, I've been sick for so long. God is with us. We need to stop the excuses and rely on the presence of God. And stay faithful, no matter what life might throw our way. Hanging in the United States National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., is a series of paintings. Some of you may have seen there, you may have seen in books or elsewhere. A series of paintings by a man named Thomas Cole. And those four paintings are called The Voyage of Life. Each of those paintings depict a season of life, childhood, youth, Manhood and old age. The first painting is childhood. It shows a mountain, the dark cave, beautiful river flowing out of the cave. There's a small wooden boat. You may be able to see these. You may not. But it's flowing out into a floating out into a world of beautiful vegetation. Everything is green. The flowers are in bloom. Everything's peaceful and gentle. Inside the boat is a, a baby that seems almost to be laughing and. Cole painted a, a guardian spirit, as he called it, standing right behind him. The second painting is youth. The same boat has now traveled down downstream. And while the, the water is still clear and the, uh, the vegetation is still beautiful, 
I don't know if it shows up or not, but off in the distance, there's actually a magical castle that the young boy is sailing towards. And the guardian spirit stands by the banks, watching him as he charts his course of life. But in painting three, the mood changes. Because in the painting that Thomas Cole painted named Manhood, the scene becomes dark. The water has white caps in it. It's torrential in certain places. The sky is very, very dark. It's even said the boat's rudder, if you can look closely enough, is actually broken. The man is caught up in forces he simply can't control. And the guardian spirit is no longer on the boat or by the bank, but it is still up in the clouds. He's picturing, Cole was picturing adulthood as a time when the joy and wonder of childhood had had been tamed and life became difficult and the realities of life became harsh. But there was a fourth painting. Thomas Cole painted called Old Age. That battered and weathered boat has finally reached not the river, but the ocean. The dark clouds are still there, if you notice, but the water is still again. And the, the little baby that was a boy that was now an adult is now an old man. And his eyes are fixed firmly looking above. And the clouds, though dark, are pierced by a light that Cole himself said was the light of heaven. Piercing, pierced by angels coming to and fro. And for the first time in the series of paintings, the man, the one who is now a man, actually sees the guardian spirit. But the guardian spirit has accompanied him all through life. And one writer in talking about the painting said this. The guardian spirit comes and is taking him by the hand and prepares him for his journey into the heavens. Seasons of life change. Circumstances change. Sometimes in life the water is calm. Sometimes we call them the storms of life. Some are young and some are old. Some have life that seems to be pretty easy and simple, and some have times in life that I I can't even begin to understand because of how difficult it is, how many dangers are faced. And I don't know what Cole believed as far as what that guardian spirit, well, I don't understand all that. For one thing, I'm not an artist, but I don't understand all that. But I know what my Lord told me in Scripture. I'm with you always. And I know what the prophet told his people. I am with you, declares the Lord. If you don't know that presence of God, this morning is the time to change that. And everyone in this room who does know that presence of God will tell you, it's not always easy to live life just because you know the presence of God. It's not always easy. But oh, does it make the valleys less steep. And oh, does it make the tears, though bitter, have a sweetness to them that no one else can understand. It's almost as if what the Apostle Paul wrote was true. That there is a peace that passes all understanding that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. My question, are you in Christ Jesus? You're placed into him by the waters of baptism. And if you've never been immersed, baptized, 
please do that this morning. Brother or sister in Christ, you've done that days, weeks, months, years, decades ago. But maybe you're living your life in such a way that the presence of God, you know it's there, but for some reason you're not relying on it, you're not leaning on it. And this morning you want us to pray for forgiveness if necessary, but maybe simply encouragement. That you'll know that your eyes are fixed, focused on the one who will take you home. Should you be faithful. He promises to be with you. And if you want to give your life to him this morning, we invite you to come while we stand and sing to encourage you.